welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is Monday of the 34th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Stir up the will of your faithful, we pray, O Lord, that striving more eagerly to bring your divine work to fruitful completion, they may receive in greater measure the healing remedies your kindness bestows. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of the Apocalypse. In my vision, I, John, saw Mount Zion, and standing on it, a lamb who had with him a hundred and forty-four thousand people, all with his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound coming out of the sky like the sound of the ocean or the roar of thunder. It seemed to be the sound of harpists playing their harps. There, in the front of the throne, they were singing a new hymn, in the presence of the four animals and the elders, a hymn that could only be learnt by the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the world. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been redeemed from amongst men to be the first fruits for God and for the Lamb. They never allowed a lie to pass their lips, and no fault can be found in them. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. The Lord's is the earth and its fullness, the world and all its peoples. It is he who set it on the seas, on the waters he made it firm. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Who shall climb the mountain of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The man with clean hands and pure heart, who desires not worthless things. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. He shall receive blessings from the Lord and reward from the God who saves him. Such are the men who seek him, seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Alleluia, alleluia. Be watchful and ready. You know not when the Son of Man is coming. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. 
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus looked up, he saw rich people putting their offerings into the treasury. Then he happened to notice a poverty-stricken widow putting in two small coins. And he said, I tell you truly, this poor widow has put in more than any of them. For these have all contributed money they had over. But she, from the little she had, has put in all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Just as a warning, um, there's a little bit of a thunderstorm going on here in Adelaide. So if you hear a few rumbles, um, <laughs> that's what it is. But I've got to get this done. I can't wait for it to finish. So uh, apologies for that. The second thing is that um, we're actually going to pay a little bit of a price for taking a break from the Book of the Apocalypse because um, we're going to have to play a little bit of catch up. Um, and I hope this doesn't become a bit tedious uh, you know, trying to cover stuff that's actually in between the readings which we had uh, on Friday and today. Now, let me start by making a little bit of an observation about the book of the Apocalypse that um, really helped to make uh, a lot more sense of it for me. You see, reading the book, you, you kind of, you get this parade of images. Um, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and, you know, then you start hearing about dragons and beasts and wars and it all starts to get really confusing. But the thing that helped me make sense of some of these, you know, sort of mysterious kind of fruit salad of pictures um, is to recognise that, you know, John is actually telling the same story a number of different times using different images. He's talking about God's victory over evil. He's talking about the victory of the Lamb. Right, And he'll tell it through seven seals, he'll tell it through seven trumpets, he'll tell it through seven bowls, um, he'll tell it through, you know, the different kinds of battles that are, that are being waged. And, you know, often it's the same story that's just being shown from a different angle or a, a different perspective. And that shines a light on, you know, the way in which we understand the coming of God's kingdom here on earth in history. So if you remember, um, we heard about the one seated on the throne uh, holding a scroll with seven seals. Um, you know, this is the scroll on which is written God's plan. Uh, and, you know, um, who's worthy to open up the seals? Who's worthy to break open God's plan and open it up and bring it into the world? And, you know, no one sort of is worthy until we find the lion of the tribe of Judah, you know, the root of David. And John spins around and instead of finding a lion, he finds a lamb who was slain um, but is alive. And the lamb is able to break open the seals and these seals bring destruction. So the first four right bring out the four horsemen of war, of, of conquest and famine and, and plague and death. Then we get the fifth seal that gets broken and we hear about all of these Christian martyrs whose prayer rises up to God, and they plead for justice. And they're clothed in white and they're granted rest, um, but they're told to wait because there are more to come. There are more martyrs still to come. Then the sixth seal breaks and in comes the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of wrath. 
This is where we hear about cosmic upheaval and destruction, you know, violent earthquakes, the sun turns black and, you know, the moon goes red as blood and, and all of these terrifying kinds of pictures as God's justice is brought upon the earth. And in the meantime, we hear about these 144,000 who've been marked on their foreheads as servants of God. And these are the ones who come through the great tribulation, the ones who are caught up and are able to stand in the presence of God. They will never hunger or thirst again, we hear. Neither sun nor scorching wind will ever plague them, because the Lamb who is at the throne will be their shepherd and will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. The day of wrath is the day of their great victory, and they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb has made their robes white, and that's what's made them victorious. And here's the great mystery, right? Those who received the seal are the ones who are shepherded by a lamb, right? You know, it's unexpected. You would expect a shepherd to be the shepherd of his people, but instead it's this lamb who is the shepherd of its people. And they are the ones who have imitated the lamb in being slain, but being victorious. So the lamb then breaks the seventh seal, and then there's just dead silence for about half an hour, it says. Now, if you're reading along with me, you'll see that uh, the story then gets much more complex, talking about um, seven trumpets and the plagues of Egypt and all that sort of stuff. Um, but bracketing that off, what we get to next is the moment when an angel brings the opened scroll to the visionary, to, to John, and John is instructed to eat the scroll. Right? So this is the plan of God you know, as it's given from the prophets onwards as to how the kingdom of God is going to come on earth and how God is going to win his victory. It's been broken open by the lamb. Those seven seals have been smashed. And now it's wide open, given to John, and John now proclaims this plan. The followers of the lamb will come through great tribulation and will be conquerors just like the lamb because they laid down their lives and did not kill in return. This is their victory and this is what wins the repentance of the nations. So this is the content of the scroll, you know, in sort of broad brushstrokes. And what happens then is that, um, you know, we get a few different visions that take what happens in the scroll and, and sort of expands on it. You know, like I said before, describes it again using different images and different language. So we open up with a new vision. Um, and, you know, the beginning of this sounds really familiar to us, right? Uh, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman adorned with the sun, standing on the moon with the 12 stars on her head for a crown. She was pregnant and in labor, crying aloud in the pangs of childbirth. And then a second sign appeared in the sky, a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns. Now already we hear an echo from the book of Genesis. You know, this serpent from the Garden of Eden is uh, depicted here as a, you know, fearsome dragon. The one who is the source of all evil. Now war breaks out in heaven. Michael the archangel straps on the armor with the other angels and the dragon is defeated through the blood of the lamb and by the testimony of the martyrs. So uh, the dragon then gets thrown down to earth. So what we see then is this great cosmic battle which has been won now gets fought in the earthly realm. 
And this becomes an important point, you know, for the Christians who are fighting this earthly battle. Okay, it looks like you're fighting against the Roman persecutors. You know, it looks like you're fighting against earthly opposition. But in actual fact, it's the dragon that stands behind all of it. Your real enemy isn't Rome. Your enemy is the serpent. So what we see then in this next vision is this heavenly battle being played out in an earthly realm. But remember, bear in mind, the heavenly battle's already been won. So the dragon deputes his power to two really terrible beasts. Listen to this. This is the stuff of nightmares. I was standing on the seashore. Then I saw a beast emerge from the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with a coronet on each of its ten horns, and its heads were marked with blasphemous titles. I saw that the beast was like a leopard with paws like a bear and mouth like a lion. And the dragon had handed over to it his power and his throne and his worldly authority. Now, what's interesting is that the book of Revelation describes one of the heads of this beast as having been dealt a fatal wound. Now, that's got to make you think of the lamb, right? The lamb that was slain, having been dealt a fatal wound, but being fully alive. And everything about this beast is a kind of parody of the lamb. The lamb was given all power, authority and empire from God. And now we hear that the dragon has given power and authority to the beast. And the people of the world will come to worship this beast. There's a perverse kind of mimicry that happens in all of this. And then there's a vision of a second beast, you know, equally as frightening. But this beast is at the service of the first. John says that this beast emerged from the ground as opposed to the sea, and that it had two horns like a lamb, but made a noise like a dragon. Uh, Again, we see this point of parody coming about. This appearance of being like a lamb, being like the lamb that was slain, but instead operating with the authority of the dragon. This beast can perform signs and wonders on earth and uh, induces people to worship the first beast. So what do we make of these beasts, right? Um, Well, they stand for the earthly superpowers. The first beast really, you know, sort of speaks of war and violence. And the second of kind of economic prosperity. The one feeds the other and uh, they both tend towards independence from God. Setting oneself in opposition to God. So at the time of the writing of the apocalypse, right, the superpower is Rome. Rome who rules by means of its military might and its economic strength and promises salvation through both of these means. Now, it's here that we get a rather famous passage from the book of the apocalypse. Listen to this. The second beast compelled everyone, small and great, rich and poor, slave and citizen, to be branded on the right hand or on the forehead, and made it illegal for anyone to buy or sell anything unless he had been branded with the name of the beast or with the number of its name. There is need for shrewdness here. If anyone is clever enough, he may interpret the number of the beast. It is the number of a man, the number 666. All right, John gives us a bit of encouragement. If you're smart enough, you can figure it out, he says. Um, Now, seven, of course, is the number of perfection. Six becomes the number of imperfection. And so 666 speaks of imperfect, imperfect, imperfect. Remember how we said repeating something three times makes it a superlative? Well, 
This is the most imperfect. It is imperfect, imperfect, imperfect. The fact of receiving it on the forehead or on the hand. This has got to make us think straight back to the book of Exodus, right? Because, you know, we've got the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, what the Jews were to do was to tie that word to their forehead and to their forearm. And they would do this using what were called phylacteries. Remember in the gospel where Jesus criticized the Pharisees for wearing longer tassels and broader phylacteries? Well, this is what it is. The mark of God goes on the forehead and on the forearm, the Shema. But what we have here in this number of the beast is the kind of countersign to the Shema. Instead of taking God as our Lord, they take the number of the beast for themselves. Here is God's opposition. And, you know, remember, this second beast was a sign of, um, you know, kind of economic power. Well, here we see the promise of economic power and economic salvation that comes through the promise of the beast. But it ain't going to save you. We've already heard about the victory of the Lamb and that this war is now being played out here on Earth. So the dragon and its two beasts are going to be defeated by the Lamb. And that, at last, is the first reading which we have today. We go from the scene of the beasts to this. In my vision, I, John, saw Mount Zion, and standing on it, a Lamb who had with him 144,000 people, all with his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Remember this now is the countersign to the 666 of the beast. And we go back to God's throne room here, right? Remember the one sitting on the throne? There were four animals around. Then we had the 24 elders surrounding on thrones themselves. We go back to that scene and we hear this. A hymn that could only be learnt by the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the world. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from amongst men to be the first fruits for God and for the Lamb. They never allowed a lie to pass their lips, and no fault can be found in them. Here we see the victorious army of the Lamb. So what makes them victorious? The fact that they remained faithful to the Lamb and resisted the beasts. They're the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, right? And where did the Lamb go? The Lamb went into death. The lamb was slain. Well, these are the ones who followed the lamb into death. And they are now the first fruits for God of the lamb. The ones who are raised to new life. So when we look around, we go, okay, well, we are surrounded by a couple of beasts. The superpowers of the world, the ones that seem so immovable and the ones that seem to have authority and power that back them. And yet, what is victory? We may well die by the hands of the beasts, but victory is to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Victory is to reject the mark of the beast with its empty promise of salvation, and instead to be counted among the 144,000 with the Father's name and the name of the Lamb written on our foreheads. Now, remember where we started? The book of the Apocalypse writes seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. This vision is there to encourage them, to confront the beasts that are in their midst, to stay faithful 
to endure the tribulation because martyrdom is not defeat. Victory is not the absence of suffering. Victory is faithfulness in the face of suffering. The beasts are only the parodies of the Lamb. The Lamb is the one who is victorious. The beasts of power, violence and greed ultimately possess no authority of their own. It is the Lamb who has received power and authority from the one who is seated upon the true throne. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father. Thank you.